Welcome into Bob Myers, the president of basketball operations with the Golden State Warriors, three-time champion, two-time executive of the year. Bob, welcome in. Good to be back with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, interesting times. Interesting times. It, it is. And I, I wonder, Bob, uh, you are across the country. You're in Northern California now. The league's return last night in Orlando. Assume you watched it, uh, watched at least some of the games. What did it look like to you? And you think about when all of this started, and it started in Golden State when you guys were going to be the first team to play a game without fans, and how quickly it all escalated to the league shutting down. What, what were your thoughts watching this from across the country last night? More kind of proud of the effort, leadership, sacrifice the players. I mean, people can say that players make a lot of money and coaches and everyone around the NBA is lucky. So start with that baseline. But beyond that, you know, not seeing your family for weeks, months, potentially at a time. And they're supporting the league. I mean, there's 22 teams there. There's eight that aren't. So the fact that it happened, the fact that it was high quality basketball, good games, uh, the fact that the players are really, I think sacrifice is the key word, though I hesitate to say it because, you know, a lot of people are sacrificing in much bigger ways. But from a professional standpoint and, and part being part of our league, you know, you appreciate the culmination of a lot of hard work from the league side to do it as safely as you can and from the player side to kind of give up a lot of their freedoms and things they're usually able to do. So thankfulness really for all of it. It looks like it's being done safely. Bob, when you think back to the virus's beginnings in terms of its context with the NBA, and I think the league itself was sharing information with the teams uh, on a daily basis all the way back in January, uh, I believe it started, maybe even sooner, but you're dealing with local municipalities about the arena and fans. Steph Curry took a test you know, prior to, I guess probably about a week prior there were some questions of whether Steph might be uh, positive for the coronavirus. From your understanding of what might happen, how quickly did it feel like it, it escalated in your world? Yeah, I look in the entire world of sports, but it escalated fast. Woj, it was you know the the kind of the moment the headline I thought I'd never see was the NCAA tournaments canceled. That was kind of the one that was wow. You know, this is pretty real. And I don't know if that preceded. I think that was post Rudy Gobert's testing positive, right? I think that was it, after it. It, it yeah. was, Bob. And it's funny you say that because I was – Rudy Gobert had tested positive and the league had shut down that night. The next day I went up to Bristol and I was in studio, which looking back I probably shouldn't have done. But I was up in Bristol and I was sitting on the set of Sports Center, and Reese Davis was um, – they had a separate set for him and Jay Billis – was at an must have been the ACC tournament, and and I was getting ready to go on the next segment, and in that moment, uh, when Reese was going to swing it over to maybe Kevin Agandhi or Sage Steele, and I was waiting to talk about the NBA, they got word that the tournament was canceled, and then they stayed with that. And I remember sitting there. I should have just left the set because they weren't going to come to me because that was such a, a a bombshell story. But boy, I remember sitting there looking around. And, and trying to understand what I was hearing because it went from, well, maybe some of the conference tournaments will play, but they won't have fans. And then all of a sudden for them to say the tournament was canceled. Um, it's funny you say that because even though the NBA, you didn't know, was it going to be a week, 10 days, two weeks, and it'll come back maybe or, but the tournament canceled is canceled. And you, you're right. That felt different. Yeah, I think it was the enormity of it. I mean, we didn't know if we were, once Rudy Gobert tested positive and they suspended our league, they didn't cancel our league in that moment. They didn't say the league is over. I think a lot of people thought we might come back in a few weeks uh, once we had a better handle on things. But the tournament being canceled, you knew that it wasn't something that could be recovered, right? It was in a, it was a, there's a finality to it and a, a loss to it, kind of, whereas our season's now continuing. Yes, it's different. It's, it's a different kind of season, but that tournament's never going to be played. And you're going to see in the history books, 2020 NCAA champions, it's going to be blank. And that's, 
that's that's a whole new thing. And for some reason, that part stuck with me. But as far as how fast it culminated to your question, really, really quickly. And, and even leaving in San Francisco, it was all of a sudden, you're not leaving your house. I mean, it was not just professionally. It was societally where very abruptly in our city, in our market, it became sheltering in place. And there was a lot of fear, a lot of a fear of the unknown. And and it was um, happened very fast. You know, it's, it's funny you talk about the, the NSA tournament. And I remember maybe it was right after, and I think I might have – you had an anniversary, didn't you? Your UCLA team had your – Oh, yeah. Of your national title. I guess it was – 25 tw- years. No, 25 years. Yeah. And I remember right around then we started to show – we were just showing all old NCAA tournament games. That's all we had the year. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching Tyus Edney go coast to coast and scores. And there you are picking him up and you're coming off the bench or maybe you're on the floor, but you, you came and grabbed him. Uh, let's and, be, let's and, be clear where I, I was planted <laughs> on the bench. Okay, let's not, let's not mislead the listeners here. I was on and, the bench. <laughs> and then it ended up a Sports Illustrated cover which was fitting. It was, you could see your arms wrapped around Tyus Sedney yeah. and sort of your torso, maybe your leg, but not your face. You sure. were the guy behind the guy. Appropriately. So, right. I mean, that, people say you're the sports illustrated cover. And I said, well, that's wrong. First of all, that they, they shouldn't have put any part of my body on there, but the fact they didn't put my face was, was, was right. It was the right. Whoever chose that picture said, let's not get this guy. What did this guy have to do with anything? Um, but no, that was, uh, those were good. The tournament, the hard part is in life, you know, having lived a couple of championships or a few on the NBA side and one on the college side, if you knew how much it would matter later in your life, you'd probably be so scared um, in the moment um, to, to play because these things actually grow in stature as time passes. I mean, that's the last time UCLA won it, which I you know, it's been 25 years. You just never know in sports or life when you're going to get another chance uh, at, at winning and competing again in a championship. And what I tell people is we did have a Zoom reunion, which is uh, which in one way is good because a lot of people can't make it physically to reunions. So everybody was on there. But, you know, the championship creates a, a lasting bond. And that's what it does. And, and, and that's what any championship does. You can instantly reconnect with those people that were part of that journey. And that was a lot of fun. If, and look, even if we had gone that far and lost in the finals and championship game against Arkansas, it's, we're not connected. And that's the brutal part of sports where second place or one second away changes a lot of the rest of your life, which is, it's, it's a lot to process when you're young. The run you had with the Warriors, Bob. Are we done? Is it is it kind of over? <laughs> the, the, well, well, the run, uh, the run you I'm had a kidding. five straight. Well, I don't know. You you tell me. You're the architect. Doesn't the architect usually know before anybody else? Or are you the last, or are you the last to know? If the plans don't work, I just. I just blame someone else. Blame the foreman. Blame, blame the subcontractors. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Um, that's what you do in American leadership right now. Anyway, you blame somebody else. Absolutely, it's not my fault. Yeah, it's not my I, fault. I'm blaming Kerr for last season on the record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the run of five straight NBA finals, um, and the multiple championships. When you got to the end of it last year against Toronto, and my sense with you, Bob, was you were pretty burned. You were pretty fried. After all of this and what this past year has been like, is your perspective different on maybe how fragile and how, I don't know, how fortunate you get to be to be a part of it when in the middle of it at times it felt more taxing than maybe rewarding? Yeah, look, I'd say all that. And I, I kind of was asked this question um, a month or so ago and, and, and misspoke about I think after our second, third championship, how I was, you know, wasn't as, I was, I was fatigued, but I think it got interpreted that everybody was. So let me clarify um, for me, if you're asking about me, yes. Uh, and I think part of the reason is as an, as in my unique position in the organization, I don't play, I don't coach, no, no GM, no president of basketball, nobody 
we try our best to help and support as the season goes on once all transactions are made. But it's a very um, helpless feeling. And we all kind of, you know, a lot of people in my business, every GM watches games differently, right? I mean, you, if you could do a, if you could really tell everybody what we were all like, uh, I think that would be an interesting podcast. Those are the mic'd up, those are the mic'd up um, television hits. I'd like their GMs watching games mic'd up would be, yeah, that would be like, you talk about second screen, second screen experience. Yeah. Unfiltered. But I, but I think I, well, maybe, maybe because that's not my style. I'm not kind of externally frustrated and screaming and yelling. Maybe I probably internalize too much. So for me, yeah, it was, it was tiring and, you know, not to compare us to, uh, what we saw with the last dance with the Bulls, because you know, obviously they won six and three in a row. But it's hard to say to people that it can be everything. It can be tiring. It can be amazing. It can be rewarding. It can be exhausting. It can be the best thing that ever happens. It's not just one thing. So if your question is, were you tired at the end of it? In my job, yeah, for five years I was. A lot of people probably hear that and say, you know, what are you talking about? If I, I, I give anything for that. And that's fine too. So would I. But they would be tired too, if they're being honest. <laughs> Anybody would be. Uh, and it's five marathons in a row. I I wish I could have, you know, I can't compare it to what it would be like as a player or a coach. I bet it's better. And it should be. It should be for them because they got more on the line. I always view the players as the ones that put the most on the line in these things. And they just, they get the most praise. They get the most criticism. And then the coaches are kind of next in line. And so someone in my position, we probably beat the hell out of ourselves for mistakes we made as we assemble the roster. If we come up short, we, we look back on the things we could have done and could have done differently. And I think that's what wears you out because most GMs have that part of them where they're just kind of always cycling through what they should have done. And that's, that's a hard thing to live with. How about the element, Bob, of keeping the peace of every team has issues, every single one who's together. They, they come in different forms. They ebb and flow with different relationships. You know, some of yours were very public. You and I and Draymond had it's one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. I've never had a dynamic of, of a team president, GM, and a star player sitting and literally talking through some of those issues in real time that you hadn't even talked about before. We did that up prior to last season. Is that the part of it? Is the is trying to manage the relationships and keep everybody um, pulling in the same direction, keep people together? Is that is is that what takes it out of you? Is that a big part of it? Yeah. I would for me it is. Everybody does it differently. But I feel a responsibility to try to mend fences and try to keep people connected in a very difficult environment, even in success. And it's not people, again, I think the misconception is that professional athletes, celebrities, they don't have any problems. But, but, but if you just stop for a second and, and believe me on this, because I was an agent, I at least understand it from a professional athlete side, they have plenty of problems. Um, and that's not, not more, not less. Maybe it's just the same for the people listening. You got problems too. The difference is, is that there's not a microphone in your face every night after dinner. Hey, Woj, what'd you think of Ben storming off? What'd you think of Ben storming off? Cause he wouldn't eat his vegetables. And you go, I don't know what the hell's wrong with that kid. And then the headline is Woj, Woj dismisses his child after dinner. And it's like, wait a sec. I love my son. He loves me. What are you doing here? And then it's a soundbite, right? Or they catch a video of him slamming his bedroom door. And you go, and, but, but you go, no, he's a really good kid. You got to get to know him. But that's the thing that appeals to people. And I say, one of my favorite stories I tell on kind of the sacrifices it takes. So when we, I think I might've told you this before, but when we signed Iguodala, Harrison Barnes had come off his, his rookie year and he had a very good rookie year. And so we had to figure out um, how, who to start because they both were deserving. So Mark Jackson, right, he started Iguodala, more seasoned player, and Harrison came off the bench. And we, we had a good season. We lost uh, to the Clippers, uh, I think, we had, we, in the first, first round seven-game series. 
and uh, good game. Clippers were really good. And then, then we hired Steve after the season. And Steve, we talked, and he said, look, I think, I, think, I think we'd be a better team if Andre came off the bench. And I said, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you might get more out of Harrison. I said, because it's harder to learn how to come off the bench for a young player than it is a veteran. Not that it's easy for anybody. So Steve said, I'll talk to Andre. So here's the example I use. I mean, picture. So Steve goes to Andre, and he says, look, we need you to come off the bench. And Andre... And this is the part of Andre that's so impressive. He says to Steve, um, all right, if, that, if that's what you think best for the team. Not only does he say that, he doesn't then call a reporter off the record and say, this is BS. This guy's never coached a game in his life, and he's telling me to come off the bench, and I'm an Olympic champion, and I'm an all-star. Mm-hmm. And then goes to practice and mopes. He doesn't do any of that. He authentically says and believes this is best for the team. So for people to really understand that, I say, picture you were the VP in your franchise organization, you were deserving of the role you had. You had the corner office and they said, hey, hey, John, look, you deserve this office. You deserve this title, but we're going to knock you down to kind of an assistant uh, or a director. And by the way, it'll probably be on Sports Center tonight. And um, just, just, just have a good attitude. All right. See you later. So <laughs> in any event, Andre comes off the bench and it's harder and people interview him after the game and they say, Andre, how does it feel to come off the bench? And he says, I think this is what's best for the team. And then the reporter turns off his microphone and says, really? I mean, this kind of sucks, right? I mean, you don't want to do this. And Andre says, no, I, I will do this, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. He probably gets text messages from his friends. You should be starting. Don't let him do this to you. So he waits all year long and comes off the bench. And we are the number one seed, and we're down two to one Cleveland to the Cavs. And Steve says, hey, I think I'm going to start Iguodala. And I said, well, you know, what do you think you're going to get out of Harrison? Then he said, no, I'm going to start Iguodala for both. We're going to go small. So Andre doesn't start all year, doesn't say a word. We're in the finals. And he says, Andre, you're going to start now. And what does Andre do? He goes out and becomes MVP of the finals, right? So... That part, if you want to talk about, I don't think any of it happens without that specific thing. If you want to talk about it, because if Andre doesn't do that and he frustrated all year in this day and age, maybe he says, I want out of here. Maybe Harrison says, I want out. It's just, it's, it's holding it together, but it requires everyone, right? It's not just me, but it's maybe me checking in saying, Andre, how do you, are you all right? You know, are you just, just having that type of dialogue? But when people look at sports, there is such pressure from the outside on these players that even the most well-intentioned player, after hearing a hundred times from family and friends or the media that they should be getting this much money or they're not getting appreciated or they need to get out of there, wherever there is, they're human beings. And I always tell people, you think these athletes aren't human beings. You walk down the street and I'll be the guy that you don't know that says, you suck. You were awful at work yesterday and see how you feel and see what you do. I mean, and don't tell me you won't feel that at all. So I always say to your question of holding it together, you're talking about people. Yeah, there are people playing a game and there are people that are famous, but they're people. And I think that's what makes when you win, you're so proud of that part. Because usually when you win, there's been some ups and downs. Um, But like my example is the difference in sports is there's such scrutiny. And even you, for example, what if you've been covering the Celtics like the sports recovered now and you wrote, you know, Bird and McHale don't like each other or something, you know, Bird and Ainge got in a fight after practice. That stuff was happening all the time, but it just wasn't known and written. And you wonder with every team you look back on, they've had that stuff happen. And, but now if there's a fight in practice, you better believe, and you know this better than anybody. You might find out if I'm not, a pra- you might find out before I do, if I'm not at practice. So it's just one of those things where it's hard to, hard to do. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. 
Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. You shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the views from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, and even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last-minute seats. And the GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code WOJ, W-O-J, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code WOJ, W-O-J, for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. Bob, as you as you try to reshape this roster to to try to win more championships and get your guys back healthy this year, you, you you've got to kind of you've had a couple chips to use. You made the D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins trade, and now you go into the offseason, you see where you end up in this draft lottery, uh potential to have uh, a top three pick. And you have said you have said publicly you're going to be open to a trade, to using that pick in a trade if if uh, uh, kind of an elite player becomes available and that could kind of fit your timeline of your of your star players. Is all of that even more complicated as you try to evaluate it all? Because you can't evaluate the draft picks, the top. You know, let's say there's four or five or however many you might say, like that's a guy we really. Are we, are we giving up a, a superstar? We want to make sure we're not trading a, a somebody who could be a real star. You, you want to know who they are, but you can't. You, this is not a traditional pre-draft period. You don't know the salary cap. You don't know the where the numbers are going to lie for a, a team like you that are going to. You, you're going to be paying. Uh, you might be paying some historical numbers and uh, luxury tax. All of those things. Is it make it harder to even have a conversation that the conversations you have internally and then the conversations you might be having with other teams? Is it kind of all at a standstill right now as you try to figure out what it all might look like for you next year? Yeah, now you got me worried. Preface it like that. <laughs> There's a lot of variables. No, I just think it's like you said, it's more variables. It's It's questions that might normally be answered that aren't. And so... For me, yeah, there's there's trade scenarios that exist. Having a high pick, we don't know what pick we have. We'll find that out uh, on the twentieth. I don't. It'll be interesting to see how they do the back room of the of the lottery now because uh, they used to what, have people come in and take their phones and and uh, you know swear them to secrecy as they announced it, and then they. So it'll be interesting to see how we do that. But I think post lottery things will heat up, and I think GMs are still going to move forward as they always have and try to improve their team. Sure. There's things we don't know, but you trust in the league that they'll create an even playing field, whatever, whatever 
rules there are, they'll apply to everybody. And so you uh, you navigate that. And for us specifically, I don't know. It depends on, like I said, what number pick we get in, in, a, in the question as to trades. Yeah, I'm, I mean, to be truthful, we're not discussing trades with teams right now. So I don't even know if we're allowed, but, but we're not. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's, uh, I perceive September for you to be busy reporting on whatever nuggets you have as far as potential trades and things like that. But it's quiet, and it, it's going to be interesting to see what does possibly alter in a, in a new landscape. But at this point, it's, it's almost not worth hypothesizing internally. We still just need to operate as if who's the best fit for us. Every team's always looking at their economics. You know, will they change? Maybe. But right now, we're not worried about that kind of information because we just don't have it. You, you talk about the other GMs in the league, and it feels like, as a group, I, I think, by and large, the general manager business is probably similar to some others. It's a little bit clicky. There's guys who have relationships in history, and sometimes um, that helps in deal-making. History kind of shows people who know each other, you see some patterns of deals getting done. It feels like this offseason, Bob, because of uh, the coronavirus and the shutdown and the amount of time you're having to share information. I, I, I wrote about this, I guess, earlier in the year, talked to you, and Tim Connolly had kind of started, you know, kind of gathering some guys together initially and comparing notes and sharing ideas. Is there like a different camaraderie among that sort of everyone was sort of in the same thing together, regardless, big market, small market, you know, close friends or not close friends, that there was a little bit of a spirit of like, we can help each other here. We're all in the same boat. And, and did it maybe change, do you think maybe the dynamic of some of the the overall relationships. It might, it might have. I think I always say, as an agent, ten years ago, I had many more conversations with GMs and got to know them better than I have on this side. A lot of my relationships were formed and strengthened from the agent side. That's how I kind of got close to Danny Ainge and and many other guys that maybe I would have never developed a rapport with because. Unlike coaches and players, and they use the word kind of their fraternity and family, I don't know why we can't cultivate that more. I guess it's the innate competitiveness of our jobs, but coaches compete too. Players compete as well. You could argue they're competing in a much more immediate and direct way. So I don't know. I, I, I kind of regret that we don't have a better relationship. And I do think to your question of this pandemic, there may be a silver lining as GMs are cultivating relationships and, and trying to work together. I do think it, it has improved. I mean, everybody's on the call. I mean, although we're kind of, there's a party in the house and there's 22. We're, I'm kind of on the outside of the window. Kind of, <laughs> hey, guys. I kind of don't say much except for appreciate what they're doing. And so, yeah, I, I think the reason why I, I wish it was more is it's, a, it's it, it only, I mean, there's a few people that understand what you do maybe a few in the world, what you do. There's probably 29 that, uh, people that understand what I do in basketball. And there's other GMs in other sports. There's a kinship with, uh, you know, I talked to Billy Bean at, at times and other GMs. I like talking to the John Lynch in the Bay Area and, and the people around me because it's an interesting position. And I think you have had, you personally, Woj, have an interesting insight into what we do and an understanding of what we do more than most. If somebody... If somebody, you could answer the question as close as best to anybody is, what does a GM do? And you'd say, well, let me, it's not what you think. Let's just put it that way. It's not what you think. And then we'd all have our individual ways of moving through that and our weaknesses and strengths. But overall, when I'm talking to a GM, you know, for a GM, whoever's going to make the finals this year, I'll, I'll know what that feels like. And as a, as a president of an operation or GM, it's, it's, Nobody else really does, and it doesn't. But I don't know what it feels like to be a player, and and I think, like I said, I wish those relationships at least, yes, they can stay competitive. But like I said, coaches compete, players compete, and they still have this kind of bond. And GMs, we've had a harder time with that. We don't have a we don't have a GM association like coaches and players. We don't have a a way of kind of connecting outside of competing. So 
all the times we talk for the most part are competitive conversations. And those aren't the best ways to really build relationships. You might build history, but, but not real relationships. You know, I don't think I've ever asked you about this, Bob, either not, not on air, but certainly not off air. I remember when it happened and then you moved. But, but I was thinking about it last night watching Stan Van Gundy uh, with, with Ian Eagle doing the New Orleans uh, Utah game. And, and Stan's so good on TV. Stan's just, Stan is Stan, wherever you're with him. It's like how he is on TV is how Stan is. He's not a different, some people you don't even recognize him when they're talking on air. Stan's the same guy everywhere. You, the Warriors had a pretty lengthy sit down with Stan before you hired Steve Kerr. I think there was some thought Stan was kind of going into the process, was in a position to, um, uh, if not a favorite, a co-favorite of getting the job. What was that day like with Stan? I think you met him somewhere in the Midwest, right? As a group and interviewed him. Uh, we went to, um, so Stan was certainly a candidate and we, we didn't have a long list because you know, Steve was a candidate too, but Steve had kind of maintained he was down the line with New York because we were, you know, New York could start talking before we could because they weren't in the playoffs. So we had to wait till we were eliminated and wait until we'd made the decision on Mark. So we were a couple weeks, two, three weeks behind when the Knicks could start their search. And so obviously Steve has had and has a relationship with Phil and that was a real driver there. So we had him on our list, but weren't, we're kind of hoping he talked to us, but we're hearing from him that he, that he was kind of wanted to see where the New York thing went. And then Stan was another guy, like you said, very congenial, really fun to talk to. I had a lot of conversations with him prior to meeting with him, but but just prior to meeting with him, he, because he's such a good guy and uh, has the integrity he has, he said, look, I'm kind of down the road with another situation. Uh, and, and in a very, you know, he, he, it was a good, it was a great offer that he got. It was a, it was a great offer for his kind of, to be the co, I think he was coach and mm -hmm. president mm -hmm. of the team. Obviously, it was a lot of money. So to his credit, he said, I don't know if you should worry about coming down here. Um, I don't want to lead you on because I'm – and I kind of said, well, because at that point, we hadn't really talked to anybody, I don't think. I said, well, can we at least talk, talk to you? Because I'm of the mind, you know, you always get something – talking to Stan Van Gundy, I still remember a lot of the good things he said. I think he was way ahead of a lot of people analytically. On, on how he approached the game. But to his credit, again, he was kind of saying, I'll talk to you guys, but I just, I don't really see a way things are going to change. But if you want to fly out here, that's why we met him near his house, right? He wasn't, you know, if a coach wants a job, he usually comes to you for the most part, unless he's in the playoffs or something. So, and in the course of that meeting, the, the interesting part of the story is Steve actually called my phone and was kind of like we talk he didn't know we were meeting with stan i think he just had realized he wanted the chance to talk to us before he made a decision so that all kind of happened at once so in the course of it we left and stan basically told us after that meeting that uh i'm gonna go i'm gonna go in the direction i thought i was and so then we were nowhere but in the course of that steve popped back up and said hey i might i might be willing to talk to you guys so Stuff's more interesting in truth than fiction, but it, it, that is how it happened. I mean, it'd be easy. I, he did call while we were meeting with Stan, which was kind of crazy. It, it's funny, especially when you had the success that your team had in the run. And you look back and there's we, we can all do this in our lives. Some decision you made that at the time you were so sure was the right thing to do and it fell apart on you and you got it set in another direction and you say, thank God I didn't I didn't do that. Uh, you had it with trades, you know, listen, we like the Kevin Love discussions are well documented. You made a decision, you know, who knows how it turns out, but you certainly, you look back and you go, well, there's never going to be a day in our lives that we regret keeping Clay Thompson. Um, but as the years kind of accumulate here, there's a lot of those, aren't there in the NBA, like, like trades and talks and things that at the time seemed like that's kind of a no brainer to do. And you look back and go, holy cow. Why would we have ever thought of doing that? And I'm not putting Stan in that category. Um, but 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 Steve, obviously, looking back, Steve was the right coach at the right time for the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, but your point is well made in that if you want to go back and do revisionist history, there's in any sport, right, not just basketball, 
there's ter- twists and turns to, like I mentioned the Igadala thing, you know, there's all these moments and the, there's, there's, there's these, you, you pivot so many different times in little ways during the course of a season, sometimes big, but you know, it is often written and said about what people almost do or this, that, but, but you really are judged in your life on what you do do. But if you wanted to look back and say, like, I almost, it's a, happens to a lot, a lot of people when they buy a house, they, they think they have the perfect house and they miss out on it. And two months later they go, they go, yeah, I, I, I'm glad I didn't buy that. You know, so it, it, it happens a lot, but in the course of our five years, I mean, even our, whether you look at the championships we won, you know, Cleveland has said they had some injuries the first one we won. Um, we can say people use the Draymond thing while we lost. People, I'm sure Cleveland's, or I mean, t- t- we could, people say what they say about last year. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you do it long enough, you're probably going to get lucky in some respects and unlucky in others. And if you bat a decent percentage in the draft and free agency, that's about the best you can do because these decisions are made on the fly. You're talking about people. You're talking about best guesses many times. Talk about injuries. You're talking about all these different things. So to get it right all the time is impossible. But fans, and they have the right to. It's what makes it fun. I mean, you can look like an idiot in my job pretty easily. Because, I mean, if you redraft, it's never going to go the way it did. And that's an obvious one where people pass on a guy and they just get destroyed and uh but you know what that's how it is that's what it is the challenge bob of putting it back together and trying to again reshape the roster you still have the elements of a championship core with steph and clay and you know draymond and bringing wiggins into it and and you didn't have a a, you didn't have a great window of time with him but but i think you, you traded for him for because you saw how he fit with with your group what what's you, you, you kind of get a second wind in the job where you go through these different phases you know the KD era and then KD leaves and you're trying to do it again does it get you juiced up again to say okay let's let's see if we can do this again let's see and and also maybe to the I think how you feel about Steph and how you feel about Clay and Draymond, where there's like a sense of responsibility of, boy, I owe it to these guys to do everything I can to give them another crack at 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 competing for a championship. Yeah, I think all that, right? I mean, personally, the trying to climb that mountain again um, is haven't had to kind of get back up there again after kind of having a lost year this year. So personally, yeah, trying to reshape things and understanding that Kevin was so vital to what we, I mean, I think people are, people forget how great he is because he hasn't played this season, but they'll remember when he, when he plays again, but it's almost like letting the band go back on tour and, you know, it's the Eagles saying, we want to go play again. (laughs) We had some good songs and you say, let's do it. Let's get back together and, and see what we can do. And there's a nostalgia to it. There's a, you know, one thing I heard about the Bulls last dance so much was all those players wanted to end it with losing as great as it is to end with winning you always how can you not think that you would have kept winning when the last game you played you won so there's it's the marathon runner that finishes with you know however many wins in a row and never runs again and he says i i think if i would have run again i would at least let me end with a loss and i think for these guys I, I'd like to see them and like to think that they deserve that shot to leave it out there again and kind of see where we could go with this group. And, and it's, it's unique to kind of have this, it's kind of unique in sports because usually when things end, everything kind of falls apart and you're left with nothing, right? You're left with a total rebuild. You don't get this hiatus time that we've had where everybody kind of, I use the band example. It's like, we're not touring this year. We're tired. We're done. We're not doing it. Um, but we want to go back out and see. So it's, 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 it's gratifying to try. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm excited to see what happens with it. But uh, those guys, you have, we have such good memories of all, you know, and, and Kevin's in those memories of there's so many memories in the playoffs that you create that you remember as, a, as people going through it, not just the scores and the accolades, but 
the experiences and the connections that you make with people that that's the part I enjoy the most. And, and they, 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 they are honed in those really critical moments. They're, they're, everything said in a conversation with a player in the finals takes on exponential meaning. And so you really get to have um, some, some great dialogue. I, I always got the sense, Bob, that when it ended with Kevin and Kevin decided to go to Brooklyn, that more than as much as anybody in your organization or as much as, as anybody I've seen in one of these scenarios, you were very, very determined that that it was not going to deteriorate into um, what often happens when a player leaves an organization, whether it's there's acrimony, there's he wasn't straight with us, he wasn't that you were very determined to just thank Kevin and to have everybody around you in Golden State just acknowledge how much he helped you win, wish him well, that, that, that you didn't want to get sucked into that. It always felt to me anyway like that was something that was a priority for you. Yeah, I, I was. Um, and he deserved that because, look, the guy came to our team was um, – MVP of the finals twice, two championships, three finals. What, what do you want? I mean, what, what do you want to happen? I mean, what do you expect out of a human being? I mean, what, what is the problem with that? And so, but people would find it and seek it. And so for me, um, trying to just, everybody's so fast to look at what's wrong with the team. And I was just so focused on, and still am, of what was right with all those things. Even in losing, there was, even in the effort that you make to win or lose, there's, there's great experiences there. And so for me, and it may have come from, I just like the guy, you know, for all of them. You know, I, I, I think, you know, his authenticity and everybody would, a lot of people that comment on him would say he, uh, you know, he, he shouldn't have left or he shouldn't have done this. Or everybody's telling him how to live his life. And the, the way I think about Kevin is I say, just because you don't understand doesn't mean he's confused. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Just because you don't understand why he does what he does doesn't mean he he's but everyone but but anyways. Yes, I think that we oftentimes in sports kind of um and I would say that for all our guys. I mean our, our like I talked about earlier with the UCLA thing, those teams will always have a great, great bonds. And they'll always be friendly with each other and, and people may want to believe that or not it's it will ha it always happens you've seen the story of these championship teams they all it's just too powerful to to erode in those situations and so yeah for me i i don't you know and, and also players are allowed to do whatever they want to do whether it's him or anybody else they they oftentimes don't get in professional sports you sign contracts and when you're free you get to do what you want to do so you can't you can't criti criticize the guy for that I, I always remember, Bob, um, your first exhibition game in Vancouver with Kevin on your roster. You went up and played the Raptors uh, in Vancouver. And it was uh, the first time I saw Pascal Siakam play. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, who is this guy? And I remember um, first quarter, I think Kevin, I don't know, he might have turned the ball over, missed a couple shots. I remember you were sitting courtside. I remember texting you at the end of the quarter or the half going like, this isn't going to work out. Is it? This is <laughs> I remember I'm like, going, you really blew this one. Um, yeah. But, yeah. It's, uh... but, but what I really remember was we were talking about him after the game and we were in coming out of your locker room. And I guess I was writing about Kevin that night. And I asked you a question about him and you said, you know, I don't really know him very well yet. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I know him very well yet, but I hope over time that I'm going to get to that. I don't know the answers about him. Remember, whatever it was I asked. And it, it's always interesting to me about how that relationship uh, evolved, um, because it felt like it just, I don't know, by the end, you were probably as close to him as. Um, maybe anybody around there was that, that, I don't know, maybe he allowed you to see a side of him that maybe, uh, uh others haven't gotten to see. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, he's, I, my favorite part of the job, um, is that part, whether it's him or anybody, like I'd say the same about Iguodala. It's like, 
he said, what's Andre like? I said, wait till you know, you, you can't know him until you know him for years. You can't know him in a conversation. You can't, and by the way, we don't really know anybody. In it. You know, first time I met you, I think you were writing for the what, uh, Berg, what, what, what was the publication? What, what were you writing for? It might've been the record. It could have been Yahoo. <laughs> it could have been I Yahoo. Think it was, you were one of the first guys to um, cover kind of, you were, people, people want to say whatever they want to say about you, <laughs> which, you know, the best thing I can say about you is I saw you working then. You're the first guy down there in the green room, working the draft room, and nobody else was doing it. And I was kind of like, who's this guy trying to figure out what pick somebody's going and what's he doing with that? But you had this way of disarming people and not taking all the time, giving at the right times and a professionalism. And over the last 20 years of knowing you, that's my favorite part of you is you, you know, and, and we've had our times where you've called me and said, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, you're upset with me about something. Well, oh, I remember, I remember time. one. There's one you're, moment. You were, yeah. you were upset we, with me. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah. I'm not sure this is a guy I want upset with me, <laughs> but if you recall the conversation, I said what I said and you were still upset, no. but you heard me mm-hmm. and I heard you and we could go there and not, <laughs> Break our relationship. You remember, it's right? funny. I, 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 we're not going to. I remember gonna, where I was. I, re, I remember where I was when I took that phone. Call. I remember where I was when I made that call. We're not going to talk about what it was over. Um, I'm not going to. I've been in enough trouble. This, know, I've been in enough trouble this month. Um, but let me finish. All right, sorry. Um, let me finish. So, to any of our players, Kevin, the players that have played for us and play now, and Steph, you know, Steph too, and all these guys. My favorite part about Steph Curry isn't watching him shoot threes. It's getting on the phone with him and talking about he's got three kids. And I don't know. If you don't have that part, then it's all BS. Because if you don't have that stuff, then the second a player doesn't play for you or can't help you, you don't talk to him. What kind of relationship is that? That's not a relationship. If you, I, I'd hope that when you stop at ESPN, I'll still talk to you. I mean, if you want to talk to me. But – I would want to tell you know I I I'd like I'd like to be who you are um, even though you do have the power to you know do what you you do and and that's why you have a lot of influence which you deserve but I don't feel like you use that so that's me getting to know you or anybody over twenty years that's my favorite part and that's where when you talk about players that's I don't know if I didn't have that I don't think the job would be that enjoyable for me yeah yeah no it's uh hey listen Bob this is a time where and I think part of it, too, is we're not around each other anymore. Um, relationships all feel different because many of them are just virtual now. We talk on the phone. You don't have – there's a lack of human connection based on how we have to live outside of our families. And the good part of it is we're spending more time with our families than we ever have until, of course, I came down to this bubble and I'm I'm in day five of my quarantine, which is actually fine. I think I told you this the other day, Bob. It's actually kind of startling that <laughs> this. So you stay in your room, quarantine here, right, Bob, for seven days. So I go Sunday to Sunday, and it's <laughs> it doesn't feel a whole lot different from my normal life. And I think it's a, it, it's a real problem. It is a real that's problem. I, like that's where as a friend I need to kind of step in. And- not, you know, I, I see this is your cry for help. And this is when I look back and say, he said it on the podcast and I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just sat there and let him just keep doing it. It's like, I've got a TV. I've got like the little remote TV camera. I've got my laptop. I got two phones. They drop food off at your door three times a day. And like, you know, I'm on sports center four or five times a day. We got countdown tonight. And it's like, this is my normal life. Like I'm in, I'm in a room. I never leave it. I'm on the phone. And, um, this is how I live. It's like I live in quarantine. When you wake up from this, when you wake up from the, this narrative you've created for yourself that this is fine, let's play this back like in ten years, and you're going to look at yourself and say, "I was okay with that life." Uh, uh, Bob, it is uh, always fun to uh, catch up with you on the pod. Uh, we will. Um, well, I won't see you soon, but I'm sure we'll we'll talk soon. The best to the Myers and uh, your family. I know you're off. Um, enjoying a weekend with uh, your extended family this weekend. So 
thanks for doing it, and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, and I know we didn't get into it, but I thought the um, the, the pregame solidarity was was pretty powerful from the league standpoint of uh, from all the players, and I don't know that image was powerful for me and everybody kind of coming together for for all the things that matter more than basketball and the racial justice. So um, I didn't want to be on without mentioning that the games were good too, though. The games were good too. Really good basketball. I thought the, the games were great, and it's uh, you're right. It was a powerful. It was a um, pretty unforgettable night. Given come on where everything was for the league to have it to have, to be able to piece this back together so far, but um, you know more to come. Games are going to be coming every night now. Uh, yep. Bob, talk to you soon. Thank thank you again. All right, get get on the outside at some point. Get, get some fresh air. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest, Golden State Warriors President of Basketball Operations, Bob Myers. You can listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your pods. And be sure to check out the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, the SVP Pod, and ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre. He had a great interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci on Thursday. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.